This is Rated R, Real Estate Uncensored, hosted by Derek Anthony, right here in the great state of Texas. What's up, y'all? Bringing the best folks in the biz with some great energy, knowledge, and special guests, and maybe, yes, maybe, even a few surprises. Featuring Derek's Dimes, Mia's Street Beats, My Favorite Things, and many more unscripted segments for your pleasure. This program is affiliated with the Woodmont Company, a national commercial real estate company based in downtown Fort Worth, covering the entire United States for all your commercial real estate needs. From brokerage development and property management, including tenant rep, leasing, buy and sell, and all types of asset classes, retail, restaurant, food and beverage, office, medical, flex, and industrial. Be sure to check them out at woodmont.com for all the latest listings and information about the Woodmont Company. Be sure to subscribe to our show and check out our site, thepodcaststudio.net. Welcome in, y'all. Now let's do this. Here's your host, Derek Anthony. Well, hello, listeners. My name is Derek Anthony. Welcome to Rated R Real Estate Uncensored. We have Mia. What's up, Mia? Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Yes, uh, we live in interesting times for sure, and we're happy to have a special guest with us, uh, Miss Chris McDonald from Checkers and, and Rallies, the Vice President of Development. Hello, Chris. Hi there. Well, thank you for calling in from, um, as you say, Champa Bay, Florida, with the uh, the Buccaneers, the latest champions of the NFL. Congratulations on that. Absolutely. It was a great time. Were you uh, just having the chips and salsa and partying, or were you at the game, or what? Uh, we were relaxing and watching the game. It's a little bittersweet being a Michigan State grad to watch that Michigan grad win another uh, Super Bowl, but happy that it happened to the city of uh, Tampa, and we're super excited about the way, where the Bucks are headed. Oh my gosh, it is exciting to see, and, and I was telling my wife that I was happy to be alive to see probably the greatest football player of all time, but uh, congratulations on that. Anyway, well, um, obviously we're here to talk about some real estate, some things that you guys are doing uh, from a, a user operator perspective and, and some site things that are going on with your new concept. But before we get into that, kind of give us the 50,000 foot level on you and kind of how you uh, found your way there at Checkers and Rallies. Absolutely. So, you know, my journey began a long, long time ago. feels like I've been in the industry forever. Um, but I'm actually a recovering attorney, as I like to say. <laughs> always, in the, uh, always in the commercial real estate space. Um, you know, came out, of, came out of law school and uh, worked for a big firm and then went quickly transitioned to a, a smaller private practice in, in Chicago um, and uh, cut my teeth on all kinds of commercial real estate from tenant rep to landlord rep to tax increment financing to lender representation. So kind of was on all sides of the deals. Uh, quickly transitioned over to uh, Walgreens, where I was in-house counsel there for a while doing real estate. And that's when my career changed. And uh, they, I was recruited over to go on the business side. And since then, kind of haven't looked back. Um, you know, pivotal moment in my career was probably um, – working on real estate in New York for Walgreens where instead of just doing, you know, pure real estate deals, you really had to learn all aspects of the business when you're going from a two acre piece of property to an 8,000 square foot building, you have to understand supply chain and merchandising and 
construction and a whole bunch of things that you didn't think you would originally have to understand when you went into real estate. Transitioned over to Chase Bank. Uh, that's when I moved over to, Flo- uh, to Florida. When Chase acquired Washington Mutual and led, led real estate and construction team there doing uh, relocations and new builds. Um, and then did a, a short stint at Fuzz Pharmacy and then really ended up back in Tampa because um, it really felt like home and uh, connected with checkers and rallies because quite honestly, um, my whole career has been spent in growing brands and I just love uh, where the brand is headed and the amount of white space that we have. Um, you know, it's probably three times, we have three times the white space left in our existing, existing markets. We have opportunities to expand into new markets um, and an incredible growth story on the horizon here. Yeah, I was reading some articles uh, last night about the white space and uh, how, like you said, almost three or four times the number of stores within the certain uh, the same trade market, which is astounding and amazing opportunity. Uh, but but thank you for that bio. It seems you're I, I don't know if did you did you like the other side of the table better or it seems obviously you like the consumer side and being in front of, I guess, the front lines of the deals, if you will. Uh, it sounds like that's where your passion lies, huh? Absolutely. I think, you know, um, it's one thing to pay for the deal. Um, it's another thing to actually be actively engaged in the deal negotiations and on the, on the people, people and deal negotiation side of it. It, it really is what, what, where my passion lies. Yeah. And we, we look at, you know, aerials and CoStar and all the wonderful data, but man, nothing beats uh, getting on the curbside and checking out things and that uh, you just can't see um, uh, via the, the computer monitor. So, with the checkers and rallies, you know, the Oak Hill uh, acquisition back in 2007, uh, obviously they have a 35-year history in, in the biz um, as capital partners and $16 billion of assets. Uh, they've been kind of hands-off and let you do what you want or kind of, uh, hey, big brother's watching. We better do what we're supposed to do. <laughs> no, I don't. You know, I have to say Oak Hill has been uh, a tremendous partner for us. Um, you know, I've had equity partners in, in previous lives. Um, they really do, you know, support the initiatives that we're doing. Um, you know, one of the things that people ask us all the time is, you know, have you changed what you're going to do as a result of the pandemic? And uh, I would say not necessarily. I, you know, I think we have plans in place to revitalize and rejuvenate the brand. Um, I think what the pandemic has done for us with Oak Hill support is really say, how do we accelerate that, right? We're seeing success. Um, so how do we make that happen quicker? Yeah. Um, which is a great feeling to have in an equity partner that's saying, hey, we believe in you. We understand what it is you're trying to accomplish. We're behind you. Go quicker, faster, better. Yeah, and I use, I use the Forrest Gump analogy a lot. You know, Forrest Gump had started his own shrimping business and uh, – the hurricane came and the, and the typhoon and he was the only one left standing. And I think the COVID uh, pandemic has shown the colors of a lot of poor operators that are already doing a poor job. But the folks like yourself that that um, are pushing forward and head down, eyes up and no pity party. Let's figure out how to reinvent if we need to. And and, and to that same vein, you know, I was reading, again, some history of some of the uh, double uh, digit sales comp increases that you guys have had in COVID along with some of your competitors, Sonic, I read it was up 60% during COVID. So the drive through concept is obviously going to um, be even more uh, popular going forward. And in and, and that same vein, which we'll get to is the POS system and, and um, the closed kitchen that you have and 
how you manage the deliveries and, and speeding up basically that that learning curve that was a three to five year plan for most people and it turned it into four months. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. I mean, you know, we had the we had the benefit of having a double drive through model, right? And we've had it mm-hmm. for thirty five years. So we had a little bit of a head start, um, which makes it, you know, which gives us a, a clear visibility to what we need to accomplish. So but absolutely, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, the pandemic just accelerated it all for us. Yeah, and I wonder what that's going to do. And I don't know if you've seen any numbers internally on your market share and how that uh, would, I would assume, be beneficial for you all on your on your certain, say, top, I don't know, 100 stores that you have. Have you have you do you guys track market share once a month or is it quarterly or how's that come out? Usually we track market share quarterly. Um, but, you know, we we're really just focused. I, I got to say, we're really focused on, you know, some key metrics that matter. So you know, speed of service, experience a problem, faster throughput, put, how do we get, you know, bigger, better yeah. at, at what it is that we do. Uh, we've always believed in the taste and the quality of our food. Um, and, you know, being more focused on obviously the things that matter most to the customers and to our employees, which is making sure that everybody needs to always say, um, you know, be safe, be safe. So, you know, not only are we have we enacted a bunch of procedures, obviously, to make sure that everyone's safe uh, in the restaurant, but um, also that the customers are seeing that we're we're enacting those procedures. So kind of a be safe, be safe mentality um, that has really bode well for us as well. And it seems that um, your new concept with uh, with a thousand square foot closed kitchen, small patio, mm-hmm. walk up window, double stack drive through. Um, obviously is, it seems to be the, the new, um, I guess, mode of operation of, of, of drive-through concepts these days going forward. But is there any, any talk about having actually a sit down dine-in concept at all in some of your top markets? No, I mean, we do have some, uh, we do have some sit down restaurants. A lot of them are conversions. Um, Mm -hmm. it's interesting. And I, and I did not study up for this podcast, but, um, I know because I've, it's near and dear to my heart that of the 850 plus restaurants that we have, 726 of them <laughs> have double drivers. Wow. Um, so there's some way, shape, or form our prototype. Um, you know, we really believe that the trend that we're seeing, quite honestly, uh, with the pandemic, with people um, moving to the delivery and the order ahead, and, you know, we just launched our, our app. Our app is brand new, so you should check it out because it's pretty cool. By Patronics, um, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, so check out our app if you haven't checked out our app. But um, we really believe that this is a, this is not just a temporary uh, behavioral change. You know, I think that had we come out of the pandemic in a few short months, we may not have changed uh, consumers' behavior. But I think going forward, and I even think about myself and you know, how my behavior has changed um, in the last year and how often I use, you know, order ahead or app or, um, that I think it's going to be a permanent change. I think people will still go out to eat, but I think they'll reserve those occasions for their bigger, you know, celebration. Um, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to get on the app and order my food. Dang it. There you go. (laughs) We are robots. (laughs) Mia, what do you think about that? Mia's a young lad. She just graduated from college. So what do you think about that? You're all app in, aren't you? 
Yeah, I would definitely say my age group that I'm in, we've kind of grown up in the app era, so it's not anything that's new to us. Um, I know for a lot of people now in the pandemic, it is new for them, um, but it's just kind of another day in the life as a youngster, if you will. Um, but I've definitely noticed a lot of changes in the apps, especially with QSRs and everything, doing a lot of deals like two for three or two for $5, just to really kind of get more people in their drive throughs Yeah. And I, I, it's funny, the, the younger, say the 20 the somethings, like they have to go up to the counter and actually look at somebody in the face and talk to them. It's a little, they seem a little nervous. Yes. <laughs> I have two daughters that, that old. That's why I know those things. So let's talk about the 20 million uh, capital infusion, five-year growth plan, want to be 2,000 stores in five or six years. Uh, so that, that keeps you, that's good job security for you. Certainly is. Let me tell you. And I think the numbers. I think the numbers keep going up every time I hear a new number. Yeah, where's the next deal? Come on, Chris. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly right. So you're um, traveling yeah, a lot, or do you have feet on the street? Uh, how do you just for the listeners out there? How do you kind of go about the local, regional, national kind of footprint? Yeah. So um, you know, we're in about 28 states right now, and so I do have folks spread across the country. I have real estate managers and. Uh, out on the West Coast, uh, one down in the Southeast, kind of one in the Midwestern-ish uh, territory. Uh, and same kind of with my construction my construction team. I got, you know, one out yeah. in Jersey, one on the West Coast, and one kind of down in the Southeast. So we kind of try to build the teams to give them access. Um, it has been a little bit more challenging, obviously, um, you know, with the pandemic, with uh, travel restrictions and things of that nature. But you know, like you said at the beginning, there's nothing like, you know, boots on the ground uh, out there seeing real estate, um, you know, but, you know, the sales are speaking for themselves too, right? When you, when you post sales and you're seeing, you know, same source sales, you know, finished same source sales last year, you know, up seven and a half percent, you know, 600 basis, basis uh, points better than our competitors. Um, there is a lot of interest in the brand. Um, and so, you know, like you said, you can imagine trying to get to the 2000 mark, but we're, we're busy. We're, we're really, really busy. We're super excited to be this busy. Um, never complaining, right? Never complaining. Yeah. I I think uh, Woodmont had a record year, I believe. And, um, I had a record year personally, and I I think it, it, it has to, a lot to do with the individual and not having a pity party and trying to understand how to dodge and weave and, and figure out those folks that are doing deals like yourself. And even in the, like the professional services side from title to real estate offices to um, appraisers to the real estate market is, is at least residential is, is booming. And Texas in general is still a thousand people a day moving here, uh, which is out of control, but uh, we're not complaining. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about your brand and, and maybe shame on me, but how do you differentiate between checkers and rallies? Is it trade and geographical <laughs> or is it just kind of based on the franchisee on which one they want? No, it is trade and geographical, right? Okay. It goes back originally to the history of when, you know, the two brands merged together mm-hmm. and, you know, we did a bunch of consumer research around it at the time. And then we just found that there's such an affiliation associated with one or the other, depending on what part of the country you grew up in, that we didn't want to, you know, separate them. So um, it is basically based on trade. And then obviously, you know, for things like uh, TV ads and things of that, it's um, characterized across uh, DMA. Got it. So in particular DMA may be checkers or rallies. 
really doesn't get too confusing unless you're in places like Michigan, uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, Detroit is Checkers, Flint and Raleigh, you know, they're next door to each other. It gets a little bit confusing but like i said the attachment to one one name or the other is what caused us to kind of say okay we should we should keep both names. well speaking of michigan and some other states that kind of basically were all shut down for a long time and you may not be in the loop on this and i'll, I'll ask it anyway but um some of your franchise owners obviously being shut down and um are you aware or, or did you all did the franchise or your parent company assist anyone or your operators on PPP or was there like a consultant side or I guess from other franchisees and, and if somebody's listening, wanting to get in the franchise market, did the franchise mm-hmm. or play a role at, at any time during this? Hey, we're going to help you. I'm sure they have their own local banks to go through, but do you understand what I'm asking? Like, is it, was there a handout or some type of consultant role that, that you all, obviously you want to, you want to console them and make sure they're open as quickly as possible, survive, uh, if it's uh, getting money from the PPP first phase and second phase or going to bat form if they are renting any space with that current landlord to have some uh, rent help. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we not only, uh, you know, pivoted obviously for the 200 and some odd restaurants that we actually um, operate. So unlike a lot of franchise systems, um, you know, we're, we're a franchisor, but we, we also operate 250 plus of our own restaurants. Um, and so, yes, my team was charged with going out, obviously, and, you know, thinking rent reductions, abatements, deferrals, and things of that nature. And we did actually offer that up to our franchisees as well, as well you know, helping them with the, have those conversations. Awesome. Um, and then, obviously, um, you know, when they were, anything they needed from us to support any kind of, um, you know, initiative that they did, to secure the PPC money, um, you know, our team was also available to help them through that process as well. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, it definitely was the situation where we were in it as well, um, which is one of the things we always say about the brand that's attractive to a lot of franchisees about the brand is, you know, with the decisions that we make um, from the corporate perspective, we have to live within our own restaurants and you best assured that, you know, we hear from our own operators so we're always really, really careful, uh, uh, you know, not just obviously for things like in the, in the pandemic, but in general, right. Um, new products, uh, anything that you can think of has got to be vetted through our own operators, which makes it a pretty open conversation between franchisor and franchisee about new procedures, new products and anything else. That well, affects the restaurant. yeah, I think we've, uh, we've all learned a lot. Hopefully it won't come up again, but, uh, the government, uh, luckily stepped in and, helped out uh, a lot of uh, folks that were struggling onto a, a different subject. And that is, you know, you have a closed kitchen in, in today's world, you know, ghost kitchen is, seems to be the, uh, the buzzword and everybody and their brother wants to get into it. And I know that uh, you guys have a unique system POS and with your uh, drive uh, delivery folks with Uber and DoorDash and everybody else that you're partnered with. Um, how, what right now kind of give me the, the high level of, uh, it sounds like you guys are already on board. You got it working and, and what's the percentage of sales these days through COVID on, on that type of, uh, ring at the cash register? Yeah. So I can say the one thing, you know, we, we were probably a little bit of a late adopter. Um, you know, um, there was probably some of the brands that were ahead of us on, on getting to the, those platforms. But the good news is, is that by being a late adopter, we actually kind of were able to integrate it all through our POS system. 
Um, and so one thing you won't see at the restaurant is, you know, people with separate tablets for, for Uber Eats versus the regular POS system, which makes it pretty frictionless for our team members, quite honestly, goes through the same system. It just prints a different color ticket that would let you know it's a delivery order. Um, and so that has been really, really helpful. And we have all those, uh, all the partners are on board. We continue to, you know, ramp up. Uh, we're seeing more and more, obviously, um, you know, we're seeing more and more of a trend of uh, delivery, um, you know, with some restaurants, you know, seeing 15%. Um, we tend to see it more. Um, we tend to see it more now that we have the app, right? Is the app just, like I said, just launched? I mean, the app is six weeks in now. Um, and we're starting to see an uptake of things that are coming through the app as well. So, I mean, the, we're committed, obviously, to e-commerce. Um, so much so that if you look at our new 2021 prototype um, with the double drive-through, we actually take that low side passenger lane. Um, and that's all dedicated now to mo mobile order and app delivery. Yeah, so I saw. You, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you order, you know, you don't have to wait in line. You can zip right through the low side lane and pick up your delivery that way. Um, and then just doing the two order points into merging into one on what we consider the high side, which is the driver side, um, you know, your standard drive through experience. So, and I, I, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading about that. And, and also to that same the dovetail into that same vein is the uh, the new kitchen study. Is, is some type of uh, study you're calling? Is it Lakeland or something like that? Yeah. So Lakeland, Lakeland, Florida. Yeah. So not only do we have right, Lakeland, Florida is just a, a great success story. Um, we call it the Fit Kitchen. Um, so we were doing this before the pandemic. Obviously, we took a look and did all the ergonomic studies about how many steps that each employee was taking in their shift that were unnecessary and figured out that, you know, our employees were walking a mile and a half a piece longer than they should um, in any given shift. And um, so we really looked at how do we make the kitchen more efficient um, and not sacrifice in quality. Um, quite, quite honestly, we went to a clamshell grill, which will deliver the product. Um, you know, it's more um, made to order. It'll deliver the product in better taste, keep the temperature longer, it tastes better. Um, so it's a win-win for everybody. Um, that Fit Kitchen project, we rolled out into now it's five corporate restaurants now have the Fit Kitchen. By the end of this week, I should have five more. And, you know, we're going to go, we're hoping to get into 120 of our corporate restaurants before the end of this fiscal year. That's awesome. Um, also, you guys got what almost seventy sites in the making right now. Is there a is there a, a, a geographical area that you're trying to focus on that you're not in right now? Is it Phoenix? Is it San Diego? Is it Houston? What is it? No, there's no so there's no real geography. When I look across the across the portfolio now, um, there's no real you know we're not going into new markets per se where we don't have any. Um, footprint. Um, not that we wouldn't, we just currently, you know, aren't doing that. Um, we're doing mostly infill in existing markets or existing markets where we don't have a lot of presence. Like I said, just the white space that we have in our existing market. Um, and the only reason for that obviously is, um, you know, not to put too much pressure on supply chain. Um, as you know, with the pandemic, uh, the supply chain folks have been, and, and our supply chain team has been awesome. Um, but we also recognize the pressure it puts on them. So if we're going to go into an area where we don't have any current presence, we just want to make sure that we're not doing it to do one restaurant, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to need to create some more both there. So um, 
you know, while we have this opportunity to go in, in some of the marketplaces, like you mentioned, like a Phoenix, like a San Diego, where we don't have a huge presence, um, what can we do to attract, you know, more uh, franchisees and more restaurants? And, and quite honestly, if you take a look at our pipeline, it's funny that you mentioned those two areas because the West Coast for us is, um, right now we have a lot of stuff in the pipeline, a lot of good things happening on the West Coast. Um, for the brand, so when you when you vet when you vet a site, I, I noticed that you have partnered with uh, Site Zeus that does predictive uh, prediction for for models on estimated sales and whatnot. Uh, speak a little bit. I guess that's your kind of your your everyday life with uh, the folks in the field. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that, and has it has it been beneficial? Absolutely. So I like to say, I mean, you know, and it's the real estate it's the real estate kind of professional in me. I like to say that. You know, real estate is both art and science. Um, you know, you like to get into the trade area and really understand where people are shopping, what they, how modes of transportation work. Um, where do people really do their daily shopping needs? And I always tell even team members that come on board for me, I say, you know, listen, I lived in Chicago for 15 years and we oriented everything to the Michigan, Lake Michigan. So there could be a restaurant that was two blocks to the west of me that I didn't even know was there because I never went that way. Um, and so, you know, um, Site Zeus has been a great tool for us. Um, it's allowed us really to load a bunch of data in, get some, you know, some good uh, predictive sales forecasts. Um, it guides us to where there's holes in the market, where there may be some populations that we're not serving today that we should really look to attack. Um, it's going to help us. Obviously, it's got some AI components to it. We've got some cell phone data. We kind of understand where our customers are coming from. It better helps us when we're going in and analyzing a trade area. But I like to say that um, you should always be using the analytic tool to validate what you what your gut is telling you is the right site, right? Yes. Um, not the other way around. Yeah, we, <laughs> we use a software. You may have heard Placer AI. Have you heard of them? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we use them every day. And it's a, just a... As this, as any business in today's environment, from a technology perspective, has has really changed the real estate world, in my opinion. And uh, I don't know if it's ever going to get there, but the whole blockchain and Bitcoin thing with title and uh, you know a digital footprint, um, I, I may be dead by the time that happens. But uh, who knows? <laughs> my wife's in title, and we have arguments all the time. Like it's coming, it's going to happen, and. And she's like, no, it's not. I want paper and I, I, I want to go down in a vault in a county warehouse and, and go find that document. So anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. Let's get back to a, a couple last questions. One is, and I don't want to get political at all, but I, I'd like to get your opinion on if the $15 minimum wage is passed. Um, obviously, you guys are going to take a big hit from a from a employee and, and, and cost perspective and I'm assuming, obviously, you you treat your associates like family, but I'm not saying they're not worth it. But at the same time, there's there's challenges as an operator to get through that, and and ultimately, in my opinion, the consumer is going to pay for it because um, that's just the only way out. So, do you have an opinion of that? Yeah, I have to say that we are. You know, look, we're in a really competitive labor market right now, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, don't we are prepared? We have obviously marketplaces that are already at the $15 an hour wage. Um, and so we're prepared for it. I, I would say that one of the things to your point that we treat our associates like family, we absolutely do. Um, and you know, what we're focused on when people look at, you know, our reimage and even the new prototype, you know, some of the things that we did were specifically designed for crew comfort for that reason. Right. We recognize that, um, you know, listen, employees have a choice. 
Um, and we want to be top of mind, right? We want it to be a fun place to work. We want it to be a place where employees feel rewarded and, and comfortable and happy and, and want to come to work every day. We, we really believe that nobody wants to do a bad job when they show up to work. Um, and so we want to make sure that, you know, we, we retain the employees that are good and valuable to us. So, um, we, we know it's coming. We, like I said, we have markets that are there. But I think we're setting ourselves up. I mean, the diff- one of the differences between the 20, the new prototype that we're seeing is we added a, a crew break space, right? We really didn't have one. If you, if you ever went to our restaurants, you know, the crew yeah. would take their breaks and they would go outside and eat or they'd go to their car, or, you know. So we actually added that in. We actually are turning mm. one of the restrooms internal facing so that the crew doesn't have to leave the restaurant in order to use the bathroom. Um, That's so a good thing, Mia, even- isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, especially given the hours. It's all the that little open, things that right? make a difference, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of the, you know, well, you got restaurants that open till four in the morning, um, you know, pre, pre-COVID, and hopefully as we come out of this, you know, the late night return, um, you know, four in the morning, do you want to trek outside and use the bathroom, or would you rather just go to the back of the restaurant and use the bathroom? But really focus on those things. And even the fit kitchen that we talked about earlier, right? I mean, that's designed for that, you know, at the end of the day, they're actually delivering product. And we know that the happier the crew is, the happier the customer is because the better the customer service is going to be, right? Yeah, it's culture um, top down for sure, yes. So, um, you know, I think we recognize that there's already those pressures. Um, and I think that the, the you know, the company is making those adjustments to make sure that we are attracting the right employees and then obviously retaining them. Yeah. We live in a, just a, a crazy time. I think when we look back at it, but like, like survivors like yourself. So I think those are all the, the, uh, the I don't want to say, I'll just say non-fun questions. We have a little, we have a little bit that we like to do called my favorite things. And we're going to put you on the spot. Is that all right? That's fine. <laughs> So, uh, Mia, Mia, like I say, Mia is a little younger than me and she's never watched the sound of music. Can you believe that? Oh, Mia, you're missing out. I know. I know. I blame it on my family. We're not from around here from overseas. So I'll blame it on that. So I have my favorite things playing in the background. So this is a a, a word association. So I'm going to say a word and you're going to tell me what, what your favorite thing is of that, uh, of that noun. So I'm, it's really simple. Some of it's real estate, some of it's not. So um, your favorite property in the world, it could be a hotel, a restaurant, uh, the Appalachian Mountains. What, what, what is that for you? My favorite property in the world? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say it is uh, One Times Square. One Times Square. Is that in mm-hmm. London? No, nope, it's where the ball drops in New York. Oh. oh. Oh, I didn't hear Times Square. I'm sorry. Oh, me either. Yeah. Um, one Times Square. Well, I already know the answer. What's your favorite concept from a real estate perspective? I'm assuming it's checkers rallies, right? Absolutely. What about your favorite city in the world? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, my favorite city in the world is still Chicago. Wow. Look at you. I'm a St. Louis born and raised. So I, <laughs> I get you. I, that's, that's cool. It's, you're, you're staying at your roots. Um, um, Basically, I grew up in Detroit, but I was a okay. Chicagoan for 15 years. So. Now, you can't say checkers or rallies for this one. Your favorite, say, sit-down restaurant. Ooh, my favorite sit-down restaurant. Um, where do I like to eat the most? I don't see we don't sit down that much anymore. This is actually That's a so true. That's question, so true. Right? Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to say that my favorite sit-down restaurant is... Um, oh, we really stumped her on this one. I know, right? Because how often do you go sit Olive down Garden. anymore? Olive um, <laughs> Garden? No, I'm going to say it's uh, a, the, this local sushi place up the street called Sushi Alive. Nice. All right. Got to support your small businesses. That's it. That's right. a, a favorite drink, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? I don't care. You tell me. Uh, favorite drink, well, right now. <laughs> right now, the, the drink of preference is a uh, cab. Oh, is that what you're? Is that what you're sipping on? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> your favorite person? It could be somebody that you know or not know. Somebody that might you look up to or, or celebrity. My grandmother. There you go. And wh- what about a music artist? Who's your favorite band or artist? My favorite band or artist. Um, I would have to say my favorite band or artist of all times is still Bob Marley. Wow. Solid choice. Wow. That's awesome. And then celebrity, if you even have one, you may not even care about all that. Um, I do not even care about all that. I knew it. I knew it. I could tell. You're way too busy and focused to deal with that noise. Uh, People say certain celebrities now, and I'm like, who? That's right. Mia doesn't watch TV either, so she's focused as well. Um, What about an automobile? If you had your... If your wish to, to buy one car in the world, what would it be? Awesome. My wish to buy one car in the world, it would be to um, buy a 1976 Avanti. <laughs> it's like How she has that? it on her. She has it on her wall in her office. She's so specific. So my uncle, my uncle had one, and oh. I got to drive it once when I was 16. So that's awesome. Awesome. Pretty sweet. Well, thank you for uh, your time. I think that's it. Mia, do you have any other questions for no, Chris? I think Derek has covered it all. We appreciate your time, Chris, for joining us. No problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right. Well, maybe we'll see you at a trade show down the road if they ever have one again. Right. And if not virtually. That's right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was awesome. I love how abrupt you said, all right, bye. I think she <laughs> I think she was sipping on a cab. I think so, too. And we're not judging. They're um, also an hour, what, two, an hour ahead of us? Oh, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, Mia. That's true. All right. So uh, that was a, a great interview with Chris McDonald. She's the Vice President of Development for Checkers and Rallies uh, Incorporation, Incorporation, Incorporated. Um, they're based out of Tampa Bay, if you want to check them out. And, and if you're interested in becoming an owner or franchisee, please look them up on the web. You can find us at the thepodcaststudio.net. This is your host, Derek Anthony, along with Mia here in our downtown studio in downtown Fort Worth, Cowtown, uh, here in Texas, uh, Woodmont. Uh, we, we cover quite broad spectrum of all across the U.S. Uh, with offices in California, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, and also in the Northeast. So uh, with that, um, Mia, you have some information. We're going to go ahead and... Go to Mia's Street Beat, some topics of conversation. Thanks, Derek. Yeah. Get up on that mic. <laughs> what do you got for us today? Should I say all, all 10 of them? Well, let's just do one at a time. How about that? Okay. Oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. I'm trying to find an interesting one. Well, let's go for it. 
All right. So the first order of business I have is we'll start off strong with McDonald's, who is investing in clean energy that could power the equivalent of 8,000 restaurants. I decided to pick this one just because I thought, you know, McDonald's is kind of leading the path to other maybe fast food chains, other QSRs to really make an impact in the world today, especially with everything going on. I feel like people have really tuned into sustainability. Um, the article that I read, it looks like in the year 2020, McDonald's finished three virtual power purchase agreements, and that includes two wind farms and one portfolio of solar projects. So when I eat a Happy Meal or number seven with no onions, I could I could say it was clean energy. Exactly. Even, exactly. Though, even though going out, it's not clean. No. Sorry, we are rated R here, folks. <laughs> yeah, so it basically just makes you feel good. You know, you're eating at a place that's contributing positively to the world. Yes, yellow arches, green arches now. But that's interesting. Eight, did you say 8,000 restaurants? Yes, the equivalent of 8,000 restaurants. Wow. Yeah. Well, y'all need to go invest in some, some wind turbine companies. Yeah. And All right, those, that's interesting. Those will be constructed in Illinois, in Oklahoma... North Carolina and Ohio. All right. Uh, the next one that I thought was really interesting is about Shake Shack, and they are launching a series to a but not. Oh wait, they're launching a series to benefit nonprofits, which I thought was really cool too. It seems like everyone's trying to do good for the world. And have they named their nonprofits yet? So it's actually not their nonprofit. Right. It's with someone. Uh, Who are those third parties? Yeah, it's Chris Shepard. So he's the owner and executive chef of Underbelly Hospitality. So he's teaming up with a bunch of concepts. Um, Shake Shack is kind of the biggest one at the moment. Um, and all of the proceeds from their collaboration will go towards Shepard's own Southern Smoke Foundation, which is a crisis relief organization for people in the food and beverage industry. Nice. Yeah. So basically what happens is, uh, so Shake Shack, for example, will have an item, and I think it's their chicken sandwich. So all the proceeds from that will go towards the foundation. Well, that seems to be, um, one, it's a great cause. Two, consumers, especially, again, I go back to the younger younger generation. I mean, older folks care about it too, but if there's something attached, like I watch Shark Tank a lot, there's always some type of something else attached to it uh, as mm -hmm. a nonprofit or something back to the community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a great idea. I know a lot of people are, um, I would say not enough people are doing it. There have been a lot of other people. I don't know if you know who Dave Portnoy is. Don't know. It sounds like a pimple. I just popped on <laughs> my face. So he's I like the CEO and founder of Barstool Sports. Oh yeah. I take that back. He's amazing. Yes. yes. And so he kind of is doing something similar to this. I think it's specifically in the New York area um, or the Northeast at least where he's basically doing the same thing and it's all donations and I've know they have raised some millions of yes. dollars. Yeah. He's been all over the news. Yeah. yeah. So it's awesome to see that people, you know, care about our small businesses and are willing to give back. And especially with, you know, larger companies like Shake Shack, it really shows a lot about them. Mm-hmm. So our next topic for discussion, um, kind of going into the pandemic side of things is about design changes. 
that I was looking into. Um, there are obviously have been several different QSRs and restaurants and things of that nature that have had to adapt to the things that are going on these days. Um, Checkers, obviously, from our last podcast, has made some changes to their drive-throughs and their walk-up locations and everything, all, including Del Taco as well. A concept named Bonchon, which is Asian food, and Quiznos. Um, I was just kind of reading a couple of articles about all of them and the different changes that they're all making. Um, from obviously speed is everyone's top priority. A lot of people are switching to drive-throughs. And what about dining? Is is the, do you know? Have they stated if the box is getting smaller or bigger? I'm assuming smaller. Yeah, it looks like most people's boxes are getting smaller. And so on that note, I'll talk about another article that I was reading about Steak and Shake. So Steak and Shake was a full service brand for the first 78 yeah, years. Yeah, staple, right? right? Especially in St. Louis where I grew up. Exactly. Uh, so now that's actually going to be no longer. Yes. They will be transitioning to a quick service chain and there's going to actually be no servers. And it's going to be all kiosks. So I think that'll be interesting. Um, I know I've read a couple of articles of people trying to move towards that kiosk lifestyle. I am not too sure how that's going to pan out. I think it's a good idea in retrospect. Um, Not sure how comfortable I feel getting my food out of a kiosk, though. Yeah, that's a little weird. And conveyor yeah. belt bringing you the bag outside. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of like you like you enjoy seeing your food being made kind of thing because you know where it's coming from. You know, it's being made fresh. And with a kiosk, it just feels a little fake to me. Right, right. Um, so on that note as well, I also ran into another article talking about, let's see, trying to find it. Sorry. the article okay so kind of just on the note of talking about food and how it's a little odd for it to come out of a kiosk that kind of prompted me on this next article of what the pandemic has done to how we eat and so I was reading through this article and it basically was really coming from a lot of chefs who are in everyday restaurants, not really on the QSR side, like Checkers and Rallies or McDonald's. And they were saying how it's been quite a concern having to adapt to only having dine-in and sit down and having to have that food quality be, I guess, replicated when you're doing takeout. So I know one of the people in the article, his name is Eric Williams, who works with Virtue restaurant and bar said that he was concerned that people's palates aren't going to progress. Hmm. There is a time and place for everything, but because of the height of everyone's stress level, junk food appeals to that place. Can I have some chicken fingers, please? Exactly. I want my McDonald's now. They don't (laughs) want to wait. So I know that's kind of affecting um, chefs who really enjoy that in-person experience. I was reading that a lot of people basically had said, that restaurateurs is what they call themselves, that they get immediate gratification to see people react to the food that they've just served them. And they love to see the reaction and to be able to go up to them and talk about 
how their food experience was and what they enjoyed and what they didn't enjoy. So I think a lot of these restaurateurs um, are feeling a lot of negative effects due to the pandemic. Um, they're just not getting that in-person experience that they're I, used to. I need the love, man. I mean, exactly. I need somebody to look at my food and say, damn. Right. <laughs> Versus just throwing it in a bag and, you know, shipping it out. So It makes a lot of sense to me because, I mean, even like I, I grew up on meat and potatoes as a kid because that's what my parents cooked. And that's what my palate liked. And I, I'm the pickiest eater now because of it. So I think it does have a lot to do with uh, the type of food, you know, as, as kids go in the drive-thru and they don't go and sit down and right. and their parents order for them and mm-hmm. they get chicken fingers every time, just like my youngest daughter. Right. It's kind of like that, uh, you know, picky yeah, eater syndrome. It's just the, yeah, the psychology of eating. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mia. Thanks, Mia Jared. Street Beats right there here on the uh, Rated R Real Estate Uncentered show. One of the segments that I have is called Derek's Dimes, the top 10 things that I have witnessed and read and felt this week in my life. It could be non-real estate. It could be anything that, that really kind of hit home and, and maybe put, turn a light bulb on in my, in my brain. <laughs> Number 10, dependent on the grid. The grid went down, okay, in the state of Texas with oh. the snowmageddon. And man, it just shows you how much how you miss power and you miss your cell phone and your and your TV. And I know we all say it, but man, when it goes away, it really it really hits home. And I'm 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 gonna watch the sales of generators, and also Tesla's got a box out there that uh, can can power your home. So that that was one interesting take. And also on this on the COVID situation for a year now, um, is Big Brother still watching? What I mean by that is home office versus office and everything that I read is 25, 30% is never going back to the office again. They're going to be working from home. So it's curious on what IT and surveillance and just if big brother for the parent companies watching these folks to making sure they're doing their job it will be interesting uh, progression to see how that works out. And then of course the new babies born over the last year, I'm going to go ahead and coin this phrase, the coronials. Okay. God. Yes. So I know I've, I've, I think we're going to have one coronial here shortly at Woodmont. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Someone's expecting. Um, number seven, essential businesses, right? We always talk about this in real estate and commercial real estate, um, from grocery to C-store to general merchandise. Man, what an amazing eye-opening deal this is on your anchor stores that you're looking for. And we talked to several tenants that all they want to be is in a strong uh, co-anchor grocery uh, regional or neighborhood center. More money, more money, more money. These guys with these essential businesses are going to be able to kind of name their tune. Number six, I still predict that Apple will buy Tesla somewhere down the road, uh, given that it is uh, complementary to their infrastructure. Now, will Elon Musk ever sell? That's another question. But uh, number, uh, number, number five here on the real estate conversation if you look back since about 1908, every 13 years, there's been a real estate correction almost to the year. So we're, if 08, 09 was the number, uh, we're about there, folks. I hope it doesn't happen. I uh, wish everybody the best to, to keep it going, and I'm going to do my best to do that as well. Number four, the, the, the Derek Stimes, it's a thousand people a day are moving to Texas. Can you believe that? I mean, I, I mean, it's just eye-opening. I, I see it. I've lived here for 20 years in DFW and I think we're up to eight and a half million people or so. 
Uh, a lot of Californians moving here, which is fine. Um, but, uh, you know, never too late. Come on, let's go. Um, land and housing prices, uh, number three. Mom and dad be paying for those kids' homesteads, man. The housing prices have gotten out of control. And I feel bad for the college kids graduating, making 100 grand a year that can't even buy a house because they just can't afford it. And all the debt that they take on. And that's my number two point. College debt is uh, out of control. Um, I don't have the answers for it. I don't think we can just relieve them of their debt. But I, I really blame the third party lenders for lending. If they're going to continue to lend, uh, the prices for school is going to continue to go up. It's simple economics. Um, I have two daughters, one that graduated from OU and one going there. And it's, uh, it's I lose track, I think 39000 a year out of state, which is out of control. But they want the D1 college experience. Mia's an OU graduate as well. Boomer sooner. <laughs> and number one, the best for last, I guess, is uh, I always have, this is kind of a sales tactic for me, and it's more of a rhetorical question. When you show space to a tenant that you're representing, and you're, you have, let's say, 10 or 12 properties on the list, and you start your tour, do you start with your favorite one first, or your favorite one last? Mia, what do you think? I say favorite one first. Why is that? Because you're going to see the properties that are after that, and you're going to continuously prepare or prepare. You're going to compare it to the first one that you saw. I right. think. Right. You have something to compare it to. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it just depends, but I, I agree with you. I would I would show my favorite first, and um, and obviously to disclose that to the client on why and, and the what fors. And so then maybe at last you can go back and circle back to that and if there's any other questions. But uh, anywho, that's the conclusion of Derek's Dimes. This is the conclusion of Rated R Real Estate Uncensored. Please tune in and see us at uh, thepodcaststudio.net. Mia, thank you for joining and we'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.